Good morning, guys. Welcome to Downtown Community Church. Um, ben, our pastor, is teaching at another church this morning, so I was asked to come and teach. Um, so if this is your first time here, uh, I'm so sorry. Um, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's really, I mean, it's the, it is the greatest sermon ever given. Um, it is the first major teaching that Jesus ever gave, and so uh, it's very exciting to be going through it. Uh, I'm, I get to be a part of it, which is, which is a really fun thing to do. Uh, the, the subject we're going to talk about today is money, um, in the words of Johnny Menzel. And so um, I know that's like kind of a terrible subject to walk into church and hear you're going to talk about because uh, you think I'm going to say, all right, get out your wallet and show us how much you love God. Um, but it's, we're not going to do that because that's terrible. Uh, I was actually not very excited when I read the section that he asked me to teach on. But um, after studying it and looking at it, it, it is really cool. I think it's going to kind of change your perspective a little bit on, on what churches and God and Christians and all sorts of people think about money. Um, because the reality is, is that uh, you've probably been to a church that was, you know, one of these two things. Churches are either, they don't talk about money at all, and they like kind of act like it doesn't exist because it's a kind of a, a tacky subject to talk about, or they are just like hounding you for money. They're like a car salesman. They're relentless. Um, I, I've been to a bunch of different churches in, in my life because I used to live uh, not here, and so I was trying out new churches, and I remember I went to this huge, like this mega church. It's just this enormous, enormous building, and they, they were like, we don't need your money, but, you know, God wants you to give it, which isn't even, I mean, that's not an inaccurate thing to say, but it was like, can we be honest? I mean, this place is huge. Like, your AC bill this month costs more than my car. So, like, you do kind of need money. Like, let's, let's call it what it is. Um, but the reality is, is that the, the Bible talks a lot about money. It's a subject that comes up um, a lot. It talks about wealth, actually. The, the word that we're going to look at, it says it's kind of a, a few different words, but it, it means wealth, which uh, for a lot of you guys, you're like, I don't have any wealth. I'm, you know, 21 and live off whatever my parents give me oh, and scholarship money. Um, but the reality is, is that wealth doesn't just not talking about money. It's talking about everything. It's talking about everything you uh, own, all your possessions, all your, like your time in your body. You can say you don't have any money, but like you have just as much time as anyone else. So uh, it's kind of all those things. And uh, the Bible talks about the way we manage those things and, and how we deal with those things a lot. And, and unfortunately, we have a lot of misconceptions about uh, what, what the Bible says, what Jesus teaches about those things. There's kind of two trains of thought, usually, uh, two like, sides of the spectrum. You have one side that thinks that Jesus really magnified poverty and condemned wealth and said, you need to give everything you have away. You need to like, care about other people so much so that you don't own anything and having money is a bad thing. And he didn't do that. The other side, uh, and this is a very real thing in Southern culture, is you'll hear people say things or you might even believe that um, if you're faithful to God and if you give and if you, you know, are, are focused on him, then he'll bless you, and he'll give you wealth, and he'll give you success, and he'll give you health, and all these things. And that's not true either. And so we got to look at what does the Bible actually say about wealth? What does it actually say about things? Because, uh, I mean, honestly, I don't know about you, but it's like I want to use those things right. I want to do what Jesus wanted me to do. So we're going to look at those this morning. Um, Jesus 
talked about this subject, and in, in especially here you can see it, but uh, other times as well. When he would talk about money, he would talk about it with not only rich uh, religious leaders that made their money off of, you know, temple sacrifices and things like that. Guys that were very, very wealthy and very spiritual. But he also taught on these subjects with, uh, you know, these blue-collar fishermen that lived paycheck to paycheck. So the idea that he cares one way or the other about money isn't true. It's not that he wants you to be rich or wants you to be poor because he talked about this subject with both groups of people equally. He talked about it, and it was the same message every time. It, It was just a broad idea about how to think about these things. And so... It's not that we're necessarily talking about what to do with your possessions, what to do with your wealth, what to do with your money, but it's more about uh, this shift in mindset that Jesus has called us to as far as thinking about these things, as uh, as far as how we deal with these things. So um, we'll pray real quick and we'll get into the text. Jesus, thank you for uh, everything you've done. Thank you for who you are. Um, We pray that this morning you speak to us through your word. I uh, thank you for every single person that's in this room today, and uh, I just pray that uh, you really reveal yourself to us in a way that, um, that we can know you better. God, in your name, amen. So it's uh, in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 19, and we're going to end out the chapter. Um, <clears throat> Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So simply put, what he's saying here, you've probably heard of the like, treasures for here or treasures for heaven. Or, but what he's saying essentially is you have two things. You can work towards being successful here or you can work towards building up your treasure in heaven, which is a very broad statement and it's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think about that and I'm like, what, do you just want me to like not work anymore? Do you want me to like give up my job and, and like just not focus on money at all? Because I need money to eat today. You know, at the end of the day, I need money to have a house that I can go to sleep in and not, you know, have to brave Hurricane Joaquin or Tropical Storm or whatever it is. I don't know what, I don't know if it got downgraded or not. Um, I don't keep up with hurricane weather anymore. Um, But the reality is, is that everyone is working toward some sort of treasure, And you might not think about it in terms of treasure because you're not um, a pirate or Smog the Dragon who's trying to roll around in in gold all day long. But everyone is working towards some sort of treasure. Right? If you have a career, then you're working towards, you know, being successful, getting that next promotion, making more money, doing the job the best you can. Uh, If you're in school, you're working toward, you know, getting a good degree so that hopefully one day you can get a good job so that you can make money, so that you can send your kids to a good school, so that they can get a good degree, so that they can get a good job, so that they can send their kids to school. You know, maybe it's neither of those things. Maybe it's you're just like, I am really just trying to get a house in the mountains. That's all I want. You know, I, I want just literal things that are nice. I don't know what, you know, I I can't speak for you, but everyone is seeking some sort of treasure. Unless you're just like 
working for no reason at all. But everyone is working towards something. And, and in fact, the way that we think about the world is actually sort of through this lens of, of labor, of through what we have to do. Because, I, I, mean, I mean, I think of, like, anything. I think of, I need to work this much to have that much money. I, I need to work enough this week so that I can pay rent at the end of the month. I, I need to, um, you probably remember the first time you ever got a job and it changed the way you thought about things because you're like, that pair of shoes is four hours of work. You know, it, it just completely changes your perspective because now you're working toward something. You're working toward a goal. And so that's kind of the way you focus on it. And so what Jesus is saying is, is the work that you do, everything that you do is either building a treasure here, which when you have a heart attack at age 55, and I mean, hopefully that won't happen to any of you, but it's, there's no guarantee that you'll even get to live long enough to, to enjoy it. You know, you think about the fact that 100 years from now, everything I own will either belong to someone else or be in a landfill. We can work towards those things, or we can work towards something that is greater. And so verse 22, uh, when he says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. What he's saying, what he's talking about there is, um, I know it's like, we're talking about money, I thought. Why are we talking about bodies and lamps and eyes now? Um, none of those things are money. What he's saying is, imagine this. So my, everything I do, all the, all the work that I do is pretty much done through my hands and my feet. I mean, obviously arms are involved and things like that, but, but I'm doing stuff with my body. However, I, I wear glasses. So if I take my glasses off, I can't see anything. I can't see any of you anyway, but, um, if the lights weren't on, I, I wouldn't be able to see anything going on because I'm blind, essentially. You know, I'm like Velma from Scooby-Doo, where it's like, I can't find my glasses. Um, I can do a lot with my body, but if I don't have my eyes to see something, my body is worthless. It's just like fumbling around, like knocking stuff over, breaking expensive things. Um, but with my eyes focused, with my eye, but being able to see with the eye of my body, being able to focus on something means that I can get work done well. And so what he's saying is, it's not bad to be working towards having things. It's not bad to, be, to have money and to be working hard so that you can be successful. But where are you focusing your eyes? Because if you're focusing your eyes on those things just so that you can be satisfied, then you're building up a kingdom that's going to be destroyed when you die. But if you focus your eyes on the kingdom of God, on what he has to offer, on what he is doing then you're building a kingdom, you're working on a kingdom that is eternal, that when you die, you will get to go live in, that that you will be in for the rest of your life. And so what he's saying here is this, this new way of thinking about money, because what he's saying is your motive is everything. The way you think about it, the way you, or the reason you work towards what you're working towards and what you're working towards matters, because, because it's not just about a paycheck. It's not just about being successful. It's not just about being able to take care of your family, but it's using those things. It's working towards those things for the heavenly kingdom. And, and what he means by that is that God wants you to honor him and to glorify him through the things that you own, through the things that you possess. So, so what does that mean? That means that through your money, you are using it to reveal God to other people. 
through, I mean, just through everything you own, through your time, you are using it to serve God, to serve other people so that they can hear about who Jesus Christ is. Through your physical body, that, that you aren't just seeking satisfaction and trying to do whatever makes you happy and like, you know, sleeping around and eating Taco Bell seven days a week, but that you are focused on God and glorifying God through what you own. And so you're being faithful to one person and, and you are, you know, maybe like exercising every now and then, you know, that you are using that to glorify God. Because the, the, the reality is, is that when we talk about money um, specifically, you probably think in terms of the word tithe, right? The, the, the idea that you're supposed to give 10% to your church. Well, the reality of that is, I've said the reality of that like four times, whoops. Um, but when you're talking about that idea specifically, you're thinking in terms of an Old Testament idea that was in the law, and then actually a secret so that you guys know this, is that tithing doesn't really exist because in all actuality you're supposed to if you add up all the temple sacrifices and all of the um, income tax and things like that it's actually more between like 23 and 28 percent of your income so imagine instead of giving a, a tenth you're giving more like a quarter but what happens is in the new testament the only new testament scripture we have about giving is in second corinthians chapter 9 when paul says give cheerfully and so kind of all those numbers get thrown away and now it's like no, it doesn't matter like how much you're giving. It's that when you're giving, you're giving out of joy. You're giving because you're thinking, God, I, I get to give to you. I get to, to give you money. And so if you gave 10%, then it's like, and you did it begrudgingly. You did it like, oh, I can't believe I have to give this away. Well, you sinned either way, and you're going to have to repent at the end of the day. So you might as well in the future just like save some money in the process. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to give money to God and not do it cheerfully, you're you're not keeping the law. And so it's this shift of mindset that, that money isn't this, this thing. It's not like God is, you know, hitting us up for some money because he's, I mean, he created everything. He's not like, he's not worried about getting some money. And so it's, it's this shift in using our things not so that God can build big churches and, and do things like that, but so that people can hear about God. It's so that we can serve him through our things. He goes on in verse 24, uh, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So what happens is we sort of, uh, we sort of separate everything into two different categories. We have a spiritual category and a material category. And so we think, okay, God, you can have all of my emotions. You can have my, you know, my spiritual thoughts. You can have my Monday mornings. You can have my life within a certain sense. But then all of these things are sort of mine. I worked hard for these things. I don't want to just give them away. And so these are kind of my things. And we tend to separate things into two different categories. But, but what Jesus says here is, you can't do that. And he's not saying it like the jealous girlfriend ultimatum, like you have to choose me or the other. What he's saying is it just can't be done. He's not saying you have to do one or the other. He's just saying you can't do it. Because at the end of the day, one of those things is going to win out. At the end of the day, I mean, you can be really like 
giving money to an organization that you care about, but then when the new iPhone 9 comes out, and you're like, okay, I'm going I'm to get that instead. Or maybe you, you, know, you serve in some sort of capacity, and then you know, someday rolls around, and you're like, ah, I don't want to wake up early. Like, I'm going to sleep in today. Um, so you have this sort of, it, at the end of the day, one of them is going to win out. You might be able to fake it for a while, but eventually, I mean, you can't fake it until you make it, because eventually one of them will win out. And so we try to divide our hearts into these two different categories, but it's foolish to ever think that you can be wholly satisfied with only half of your heart. With thinking, I'm going to give my life to Christ so that I can be satisfied, but I'm not going to give him everything. It's like, no, you're not going to be satisfied then. You know, to think, I, I know that God is the perfecter of satisfaction, he's the perfecter of happiness, but I'm going to kind of like keep my hope in some of these things and, and towards, into working towards some, you know, success or money or, you know, whatever it might be. But God has called us to, in every avenue of our life, in everything that we think of, in, in our wealth in its entirety, to focus on leveraging those things towards the kingdom, on focusing on, on using those things to build treasures in heaven. Uh, in verse 25, <clears throat> For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more valuable than food, and the body more valuable than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they do not reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field... Uh, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. And so it's kind of like... The other side of things. So you think, okay, God, you want me to think entirely about using everything I possess to, to focus on you and to glorify you? Well, what if, I mean, what if you say I should get rid of everything? What if I should totally forsake everything? Then what's going to happen? And God is saying, I'll take care of you. You know, now he's not saying, I mean, you look at what he's talking about. He's talking about food and shelter and clothing. He's not saying that he's going to give you everything you ever dreamed of and, you know, that houseboat is going to be yours. But what he's saying is don't worry because I'll take care of you. Birds don't do anything and they make it fine. But he's kind of using this as, as, a, as a point. And, and the audience uh, surely would kind of understand it, but we have a much better understanding of what it looks like because we are very far removed from the life of Christ and so far as time is concerned. What he's not saying is like, just go try to rough it and you'll make it. You know, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about that. What he's saying is, is that we should live in faith that God will take care of us because he's already taken care of us. Now then, they don't really know what Christ is going to go do. 
They don't, I mean, they have some ideas based on some prophetic scriptures and things like that, and they have an idea of what's going to happen, but they don't know in the entirety that Jesus Christ is going to live this life, and he's going to be sacrificed on the cross, that the Roman government is going to crucify him, and then he's going to resurrect from the dead. They don't know that yet, but we do. We, looking back, understand that this whole thing is working towards this great moment when Jesus is betrayed by Judas and uh, is murdered on a cross. The reality is, is that if God has paid the price of death so that he might cure our problem of sin, so that, you know, because we're wicked and we're terrible and, and we are in need of some sort of savior, if he's willing to come and die for us, then surely he'll take care of us. Surely he cares about us enough to take care of us. And so it's this idea that, that in all of our things that we are faithful to God because we know that he'll be faithful to us because we know that he already was. We know what he already did. And so we're not like, does God really care about us? We know that God loves us. And so what is Jesus saying about money? What is he saying about wealth? What is he saying about uh, time and our possessions and all the things that we have? Well, what he's saying is that money isn't a bad thing, right? It's not just this horrible, horrible thing, but it's not a good thing either. We kind of think in terms so often of everything is good or it's bad. It's good or it's bad. And the way Jesus talks about money, he's not saying either one of them. It's there, it's a thing, it's a tool that you can use or not use, but it's not inherently good or evil. Now, you you might have heard, you know, money is the root of all evil. Well, that's actually a mistranslation of of a verse. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil, which that makes more sense than saying that money itself is evil because money does a lot of good things. What he's saying is it's not good and it's not bad, but a man can possess the riches of the entire world, but if he's possessed by a single thing, then he's a slave. You can own everything in the world, but if one of those things owns you, then then you're you're no better than a slave. You think of uh, in terms of coffee for a lot of us, right? 2016, there's supposed to be a coffee shortage, I read it at work the other day. That's crazy. I don't know what that means. I don't know realistically what's going to play out. That's the, I got more reaction to saying that than anything else this morning. <laughs> but you think about it. Like, you can be doing really well in life, but if you need coffee, then you are not free. You are a slave. Right? If you're like, I am really such a friendly person, unless I don't have coffee, then it's like you're not a friendly person. You're not free. You are enslaved to that thing. And similarly, you can own everything. But man, if you need something for satisfaction, if you need something physical for satisfaction, whatever that is, then you're no better than that thing. You are a slave to that thing. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, don't let money, don't let that thing hold you back. Don't let that thing keep you from satisfaction. Because if you're so focused on, on what the world can do to satisfy you, on what whatever those things can do to satisfy you, then you'll never be satisfied. Right? Pharaohs, 
died buried in their giant pyramids with more wealth than this entire room will ever get as a whole collectively. And they can't spend a dime of it because they are dead. And so don't let working towards those things keep you away from the satisfaction of who Jesus is. That Jesus says, I will satisfy you. I will give you purpose. I will give you meaning. I will give you salvation through my blood. I will save you from the wickedness that you have, that you are. Don't let these things hold you back. You think of a story of, uh, of Moses, right? If you're familiar with the Moses, uh, if not from the Bible, from the Prince of Egypt, the animated cartoon, shout out. Um, so Egypt has enslaved all of the Israelites, and they're building buildings, but they're also growing at an incredible rate. They're, um, Bible scholars say that the Israelites were making bricks by day and making babies by night. They were growing at a very rapid rate, and so the Egyptians were terrified that they were going to revolt and take over and kind of secede and become their own nation. And so what did they do? Um, the Pharaoh ordered that they go through and kill any child two or younger. So they're basically doing a mass genocide to stunt the growth of this population. And so Moses' mom obviously cares about Moses. He's an infant at the time. And so she tries to hide him for a while, uh, but babies eat and they cry. And so it's hard to hide something that is crying all of the time. And so her idea is, I am going to put this joker in a raft or in like a little basket and send him down the Nile uh, and hope that something good happens. And because God is sovereign, she does that. And Pharaoh's daughter, you know, playing in the river, she finds this basket, opens it up, and finds a real-life Barbie doll. And so she's, you know, she, like, picks up this baby, and she's like, Dad, can I keep it? And he's like, sure. And so she raises Moses, um, the Israelite, in Pharaoh's household. (laughs) Pharaoh is the most wealthy, most uh, powerful man in the world at the time. And so Moses is receiving the best education in the world. He eats like the just best dates and figs you ever had. I mean, he's just like, has this luxurious lifestyle of wealth, of comfort. And then one day he goes out and he sees him. He knows he's an Israelite. Everyone knows he's an Israelite. He's kind of like a sellout, they think. He sees his people struggling and toiling and working and he sees them fighting with each other and they're angry and it breaks his heart and he leaves everything he had right he had the entire world but he sees the promises of god and he leaves everything he has for those because he knows that god will satisfy me more than this gold ever will more than you know these egyptian silk sheets will ever satisfy me god will satisfy me more you see another story, uh, one that you're also probably familiar with, of, of the rich young ruler. And so this guy comes up to Jesus and he says, listen, I've, done, I've worked really hard. I have kept the laws. I am a good guy. What do I need to do to get into heaven? And Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. And he's like, dang, that's, I'm out. I can't do that. That is tough. And so he walks away and Jesus says, surely it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. 
uh, which is impossible. A camel cannot go through the eye of a needle. And so the disciples tell him that. They say, Jesus, that's impossible. And he says, uh, for man it is impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. Meaning that God has to change our hearts and change our minds in order for us to be saved. He has to change our perspective of the way that we look at our things because our natural inclination is to seek satisfaction in the things that we own. And Jesus is saying, you, you have to change your mind. God has to change your mind towards those things so that you can seek that satisfaction in Christ instead. Perhaps the, the, my favorite thing that Jesus ever says concerning money, he says it in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 21. Um, the Pharisees come up to him and they're trying to, you know, the Pharisees always ask him these questions that are actually like pretty tough questions. Uh, they say, Jesus, what about taxes? Because the idea here is, is that Jesus either says, don't pay taxes, in which case the Roman government will arrest him immediately for teaching that. Or he'll say, uh, yeah, you probably should give taxes, in which case the Jewish people would go nuts because they did not like the Roman government. And so he's kind of caught in this like, you know, difficult situation of there's no winning. And yet every time he always comes up with this incredible answer, they say, Jesus, what about taxes? And he says, give me a coin. And so someone gives him a coin, and he says, whose image is on this coin? And they say, Caesar's image. And he says, rend to Caesar what is Caesar's, and rend to God what is God's. Now, that, we kind of miss part of that because we're not, we don't think like Jewish people. We think, yeah, Caesar's image is on there. It's his money. But Jews think in, in terms of this thing, with, uh, this word image, it's this weird word. I don't really want to go into to what it looks like, but the idea is they hear that word and they immediately think of the book of Genesis. They immediately think of when God created man, he made man in his image. And so what Jesus is saying here is mind-blowing because he's saying this money is Caesar's, but you are God's. And so give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And so it's this change in, in mindset about money, where it's money is not the thing, it's our lives that are the thing that matters. How you use money, it's not super important, but what you do with your life is what's important. And so if you're, you know, if you spend money on, you know, silly things every now and then, that's not a huge deal. But if you are living a life in which you are seeking satisfaction through those things, then you are not giving to God what is God's. But if you are using your life to focus on God, if you are working on his kingdom, if you are focused on using your things to reveal God's uh, plan, if you're using those things to reveal the gospel to other people and to help other people, then that is giving to God what is God's. But the problem is, is that we tend to focus so much on money that we forget or we lose sight of what really matters. We lose sight of the fact that salvation is the important thing. It's not about how much money is in your bank account. It's about people coming to know Christ. It's about uh, serving Christ because he paid so much for us. And so, I mean, listen, tithing is from the law. It's not a thing of freedom. We're freed by Christ. We are free to use our things in really whatever way we want to, but we choose to use those things so that people can know God, so that God is glorified. And so we have to utilize these things 
to, in verse uh, 33, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so it's this shift in mindset that every single thing that I own, every single, uh, all of my time, all of my possessions, when I get a paycheck every week, it's not necessarily that I think about it in terms of like, oh man, I have to give some of this or I need to be doing that because God wants me to. But rather it's how can I use this to seek the kingdom? You know, how can I use this so that my friends can know about Jesus? How can I use this so that God is glorified? How can I use these things so that people can come to know who Christ is and what he did for them? And so, like it said uh, back in the earlier verses where it's, we need to focus our eyes in the right place. That we don't, we can't be serving two different masters. We have to focus our eyes on one master in everything we do. All of our labor, all of our work is working towards that one thing. We need to change our mindset, the way we think about money, to focus on God so that when we think about all of our possessions, we can use them to glorify God. Romans 12, 2 says, uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What he's saying is you have to or don't conform to this world, which is the way we tend to think about things, but we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to allow God to change the way that we think about things. Because in all honesty, I mean, the things aren't ours in the first place. We only get to hang on to them for, you know, maybe like 90 years, and then we're done, and it's going to go to someone else. We have to change our minds about, or change our mindset about the way we think about these things because these things are just here to reveal God to others. And so we're going we're gonna to take communion this morning. And um, I think there's no better way of understanding this concept of, of things more than looking at the life of Christ. Because for a lot of us, it's really tough. I mean, we don't have a lot of things. We don't have a lot of time. I have very little time, honestly. So to give up more of it for God is like, yikes. That's really tough. But to think Jesus left heaven to come on this earth to give up everything, to give up his life so that we can know him, so that we can be saved. I mean, that puts it into perspective, right? I mean, we give up some of our things, but we still get to live and, and continue, you know, enjoying our lives. Jesus was brutally murdered so that we could know him. He gave up everything. And so as we take communion this morning, I just want to think about that. Think about uh, what he said that, uh, to his disciples the night that he was, he was going to be crucified. He said, this bread is my body, and this wine, or in our case, grape juice, is my blood. And it's a symbol of what Christ did for us. 
what Christ, I mean, the, the, the whole reason that we even are here is because of what Christ did for us. And so uh, the way we do communion is you'll come up through the middle. There'll be two uh, little groups of people with communion. You just dunk the bread in, go to your seat, and, and take it there. But just think, I mean, I just want to challenge you to think about what Christ has done for us. The fact that, that everything we have, everything that we own, is all in light of the fact that he paid everything so that we can not have to find satisfaction in those things, but that we can find satisfaction in him. And that he paid the ultimate price for us. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Um, God, you are truly incredible and the work that you did is, is beyond our imagination, God. Thank you so much for, for what you've done, and I pray that in this time we can worship you. In this time we can focus our eyes on you and just be so grateful for the work that you've done, God, even when we didn't deserve it. So thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for all the people in this room. And we pray that you can help us to change our perspective, change the way we think about the world, and use everything we have to seek your kingdom. In your name, amen.